Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. Tonight we are doing a Browns Mock Draft Breakdown edition of the show with special guest Randy Gersey of Dog Pound Daily and NFL Spin Zone. He'll be with us momentarily. Today is Wednesday, April 7th, the year 2021. Welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm your host, Brad Ward. Mikey's on the ones and twos. Make sure you hit the subscribe button at the bottom. And uh, if you listen on podcasts, it's available where all popular podcasts are found. Uh, last week we had Troy Hill on the show, so I have to do this real quick. They're all eyes on Cleveland. We here. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, for sure. And uh, before we uh, get into anything else, uh, we have a mailbag edition after Randy is done tonight. So make sure you stay after the show for that. Uh, but first and foremost, let's bring Randy Gersey of Dog Pound Daily for our uh, mock draft breakdown onto the show. Randy, how are we doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, absolutely thrilled to have you, sir. Saw your uh, mock draft today and thought that we should uh, hop right into that. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, you're at Dog Pound Daily. How long have you been there? And you're working uh, NFL Spin Zone, both fan-sided, right? Yeah, correct. They're both fan-sided. I've been with um, fan-sided for about five years now. Uh, Dog Pound Daily uh, moved over there as an editor in February of 2018. Uh, Spin Zone, I've been with uh, almost since the beginning, so I've been with them for a long time. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show for sure to break down your uh, mock here today. Can't do any better than getting a uh, mock fresh off the presses here yeah. on a mock draft breakdown. Uh, so let's get into some of that. Let me, uh, Mikey, see if Mikey can do this properly here. There we go. Good job, Mikey. All right, and uh, we're up here. Uh, and we've got your mock here in front of us. Uh, as you can check this out at Dog Pound Daily uh, by Randy Gersey. Um, right off the top, we see, uh, you know, you wrote a, a little bit here, but your first pick at 26, you have Greg Newsom, the second of, from Northwestern. Uh, this is a guy that we've seen mocked uh, a lot to the Browns, right? Um, and uh, a guy that you mentioned here right in the top of your article that we know they've held a virtual meeting with. So obviously some interest there. Uh, they seem to have had a lot of meetings with a lot of corners, uh, which is a kind of a trend I think we're starting yeah. to see here. But uh, talk about Greg Newsom and what you like about him. What's funny is when they first looked at him, you know, it was maybe four or five weeks ago when they the news kind of came out that they had their virtual meeting with them. It kind of seemed like maybe a second round kind of guy, uh, but the more that you're hearing scouts talk about him, uh, and then in addition to that, you have the the back injury to Caleb Farley. It kind of seems like Greg Newsom's name's popping up a little bit. You know, he's coming up a little more on the boards. He just seems like a really good fit with the Browns. Um, he's got that the big frame, six foot one, hundred ninety pounds. You know, he just kind of fits with that lengthy, rangy outside corner guy. Um, I know you had Troy Hill on the show uh, not too long ago, and you know, Hill, even he said on the show that he, he enjoys playing in the slot. He can do both. He can play on the outside, but he's a little bit better in the slot. So I think Cleveland really needs to get that other guy that can play on the outside. Um, with Newsom, though, there is a couple concerns, you know, one being that he still has not played a full season. He struggled with some injuries as well. So mm -hmm. I think medical checks will, of course, be important on that. Um, but if 
if everything's good with him, you know, it, it, it's a good player. You'd like to see him pull in a few more of the interceptions. Um, but even saying that, you know, J.C. Horn, a lot of people are saying he's a top 15 pick. He only had one more pick in his career than Newsom. So, you know, he, he's a guy that can get it done. For sure. Um, one of the things about picking at 26, uh, Randy, for sure, I think, is that you're not going to find a perfect guy, right? You know, what right. these guys at 26 are all going to have – some sort of a red flag more than likely unless you know somebody falls right in their lap uh you know great the things about Newsom that jump to me you know he's he's excellent in zone coverage you know the Browns are going to run a ton of that cover three and a ton of the cover four um and he, he I think he was number one overall coverage guy at PFF and then you mentioned the negatives you know he was dinged in in three years uh, of at uh, Northwestern, which is, you know, kind of problematic because that's the problem with the guys we have, right? right. Is their availability with greedy and that nerve damage issue is not something that you know we're really sure about at this point. Uh, but definitely somebody that is a popular pick uh, to go to the Browns, and uh, I would not be against it at all. And as I mentioned earlier, I think we are seeing a trend towards corner maybe there at 26 even though I kind of think that edge should be the priority there but it depends on I guess uh, you know I I think that corner is a little bit deeper of a class a guy I really like here you have in the 20 set in the uh in the second round here uh Randy uh Joseph Asai I'm a big fan of uh fast guy right uh probably needs to put on a little weight talk about Joseph Asai uh edge from Texas well, first off, I absolutely agree with you. I think edge, in my opinion, is a little – I think you want to get that fixed. And I really would love to see an edge at 26. The problem is, like you would already mentioned, the class is just not very deep. And I think the fall off that you would get from taking a corner at uh, – is it 59, I believe, is the second pick? Yes. The fall off you would get from taking a corner at 59 compared to 26 is much greater drop-off than what you would get from an edge at 20 uh, between 59 and 26. So aside to me, you know, there's, there is a bit of a gamble. He may not be there at 59. Um, But if he is, you're talking about a player who really fits the system. Well, he, he kind of looks a little to me like an Olivier Vernon. He's, you know, I I believe they're the same high right around six, three, um, uh, he a size a little under 250. I think Vernon was right at 250, 255, somewhere in that range. Um, but one thing that was interesting too about Vernon is if you notice when he really started to come on last year, Joe Woods stopped with the you know trying to keep him in a box. He was no longer just this hand in the dirt defensive end. He was standing up and pass rushing as well. Osai's mm-hmm. done a little bit of both. You know, he's done the hand in the dirt. He does the stand up uh, pass rushing as a line, uh, outside linebacker. So I think that kind of versatility and how to use him in a different ways. Uh, I think Joe Woods would like that. He's um, also he's been, he's been in every game. I believe he's played all 36 games uh, the last three years, started the majority of them, started, I believe 24 of the games. And he is just, you know, he, he, he's usually suited up, ready to go. He's a great player. And he's not just a guy that only generates pressures. You know, he had uh, 90 tackles in 2019, so he's able to get out there, make the tackles, get after the ball carrier. So I do also believe that with him, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have to have a little bit of development. But that's why somebody like Tack McKinley is so important. McKinley, he's got the ability to start, you know, as long as he's healthy. You 
seeing that it went south in Atlanta uh, pretty yeah. quickly. So you don't want to uh, rely on him 100%, you know, but you, you can have him in there for this first year and let Asai work his way into the lineup and see what he can do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Joe Woods, I think, ideally wants to be able to bring guys in waves. At least that's what he did, you know, uh, Sala did in, in San Francisco with their front. And, uh, you know, to be able just to add, I mean, whoever they add at edge, whether it be a 26 or 59 or through free agency or whatever they do, you know, they need to add as kind of as many pieces as possible, I think, uh, you know, they've got some flexibility up there with Malik Jackson, who can play out and in, and Sheldon has shown the ability to do the same. Right. So they can move guys around, keep guys fresh, and a rookie can step in, you know, at, like Joseph Fasai or, or maybe a, an Aziz Ojolari if he drops to them at 26, who I like a lot, and I believe you mentioned as well, um, that you know, they can just play that role of coming in and, and, you know, playing 20 snaps a game or whatever it may be, right, Uh, to get after the quarterback. And I think that's an ideal fit for a guy that you want to bring along long term, you know? Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And Aziz is another guy I really like. Um, There was a while it seemed like he'd be there till 26. I'm not so sure he will anymore. If he is, you absolutely jump all over that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I think Aziz and Joseph Asai are they're they're built pretty similar. They have similar games. You know, Aziz is a little more refined and ready to go. But yeah, I definitely like both of those guys. One thing about Edge that I'll that I do I will mention to you and see what you think about this is, you know, there's not really a consensus like top five in this draft. So like. There's a lot of guys that you'll see like sneak into a top five on different guys, top, you know, boards yeah. at edge. So like, uh, you know, like you'll see Weaver pop up and you see OA up there and, you know, and kind of some people value these guys, see these guys completely differently. Like guys that, you know, maybe I value some of their opinion, like a Chris Sims or, a, you know, a, a, a Bulger or whatever. Their top fives are very different. And uh, I think that's I think that's a little strange. So it'll be interesting to see what the Browns value. I know they value age a lot, which I think Osai makes a lot of sense here because he's younger, I believe. Yeah, I believe he just played the three years. Um, yeah, he only played three years at Texas. Uh, but yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. It's crazy because you see some people really love Greg Rousseau, and I've seen others talk about he could fall all the way to the third day. You know and. There is no consensus on who is the best edge rusher in this class, and I think that just speaks to the fact that it's it's not as deep as we're used to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Ronnie Perkins, some people value really high. Some people don't even have him in the top five. Same with Weaver. Uh, so that's interesting stuff, and I think something to keep an eye on. You know, that Jalen Phillips, who tested out of this world, I, you know, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole just because of the concussion thing. You know what I mean? I, I just don't you think 100%. Could, I think, you know, yeah. and I, I think he could be a player that could be great, you know, but you have to wonder for how long, you know, exactly. he's already tired once with the injuries and, you know, you wish the best for him, but it's, you already alluded to the injury problems Cleveland's having, you know, you don't, you don't want to have another guy that you're constantly holding your breath on, on every play. Absolutely. Uh, you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland, listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. This is the Browns Mock Draft Breakdown featuring Randy Gersey of Dog Pound Daily and NFL Spin Zone. 
Let's move on to the third round here where the Browns have two picks. Uh, the first of the two picks, uh, I'm sure it would make a lot of Ohioans happy here, uh, Pete Werner, linebacker, Ohio State. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about Pete uh, Werner here at linebacker. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like there's <clears> – excuse me. <clears throat> there's a couple ways Cleveland can go with this. You can go with a linebacker kind of in the, you know, day two, you remember third round pick or so, or they may not even go with one at all. It's hard to tell. Um, they they don't seem to value the position a whole lot, which I no. you've got the four, two, five defense uh, that they want to run primarily, but that's why I kind of like Pete Warner. He's got some experience in playing in coverage. Um, you know, he, he dropped back at safety a bit early in his career with Ohio state. And that's really what it, when I was doing this mock and I saw him there, that's really what drew me to him for the Browns is the fact that you can put him on the field and he can play in coverage. You've got the guys uh, like uh, Anthony Walker that can go and they can stop the run. They can, you know, go and make all the tackles, but they don't really have that guy that can play in that linebacker role and, you know, cover and run with the tight end or running back out in the backfield. And I kind of feel like he's the guy that can do that for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think that, uh, a guy that can cover in that room would be very helpful. Another guy that we've seen, uh, you know, just seems to kind of fall into, for whatever reason, Brown's mocks, right? Tutu Atwell. Uh, and it's certainly a need, you know, the speed aspect of this. Talk about uh, why you got Tutu Atwell with their second pick in the third round here, Randy. Um, it's one of those things where – I'm, I do my mocks all on uh, the draft network, and it's just yeah. – if, if we're doing the real draft, I'm not even so sure that he would be there at this point, but it was kind right. of one of those where if, if he's there, you, you have to take him. Yeah. Um, I, I know you, they they put up good uh, yardage last year with the receivers that they have, and as long as Odell Beckham Jr. comes back, they should be able to get vertical a little more. But, you know, Odell struggled with injuries a lot, and he is coming back from a pretty serious injury. So I think – expecting him just to jump back in and be OBJ right away is kind of putting a little bit of pressure on him. So it'd be nice to have another guy like Othwell, who I know he's a little bit undersized. Um, you'd like to get a little more height out there in that receiver, but you know, it, at least what Altwell can bring to the table is a guy who can stretch the field. You know, he, Blink of an eye, he can be past the defender. Um, averaged, I uh, see it right there. It was uh, over 18 yards a catch in 2019. So he, he, he's the kind of guy I think, you know, you look at in that last game against Kansas City when nobody can get past the man coverage. He's You have a player like that out there, it could have made a huge difference. Yeah. And you, and you see there that, you know, 18.4 per per catch. I mean, that's yeah. what we're talking about, right? He's five foot nine, And as you mentioned uh, right here in your article, the speed thing, right? That's the biggest thing for him. And, and I don't know what it is. And you're right. It, you know, no matter where I've done my, you know, you play around with these mock drafts, he's always there for the Browns, right? <laughs> where where yeah. it seems like a good value. And that's kind of why I think he pops up in a lot of these. Uh, as you mentioned, he may be gone by that point. But it's interesting, you know, in those mocks why that comes up. Uh, interesting pick here. I like fourth round. Uh, addressing the defensive tackle room, Alan McNeil. I don't know a lot about him. You can talk to him uh, about me here a little bit. Yeah, McNeil's a, he's a big body guy, uh, 6'2", 3'15". kind of plays like a, a one technique, but he's more athletic than a lot of the one techniques. Um, he's still developing, so he to me he feels like a player that could work behind um, <clears throat> Andrew Billings during his rookie season. And it's more of a I – mean, 
a pick for the future. You know, he's, he may not do a whole lot of course, like you said, they like to bring the things in waves. He's going to be on the field as a rookie, but I think his big impact would be filled, uh, would be felt the following year. Uh, but you know, one techniques, they're incredibly important, but because of the fact that they're not on the field all the time, the, they end up falling a bit in the draft. And I think it'd be a really good value pick if we're able to snatch him up at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, certainly an area I think that, you know, like you said, you know, you if you, you add an edge in the draft and say you add like, uh, you know, let's just talk positionally at this point, right? Uh, you know, Alan McNeil, whoever, defensive tackle that fits this mold, 6'2", 315. Exactly what you're talking about, bringing people in waves, right? Um, on that defense and now you got you know two rookies that can get in and play they don't have to play a ton of downs but can get in and keep your guys fresh and and get that uh valuable playing time uh and and it looks here like you feel like he's a really good value at that pick so that's cool uh good stuff there uh brown's mock draft breakdown here on all eyes i and cleveland featuring randy gersey of dog pound daily uh, breaking down his mock uh, just came out today. Brendan James, uh, offensive tackle, Nebraska, the fourth round, second pick, fourth round. Right. Yeah, and here it's really just about you know you lose Kendall Lamb, who was really an underrated player uh, for the Browns. Yes. And on you know no knock on him at all, but unfortunately he was needed a lot over the last couple of years, just with so many injuries to the offensive lineman. I know Chris Hubbard's coming off of a serious injury. You're hoping that he's going to be back. But Hubbard also spent a lot of time backing up the guards, and he seemed to be a lot better when he would fill in at guard than when he played right tackle. So it's kind of be nice, could be kind of nice to keep um, Hubbard inside. So really, here it's just it's a guy who played, you know, started at left tackle for the Cornhuskers. He's a developmental player, decent in pass sets, but somebody that could kind of work behind uh, Conklin and Wills and kind of replace what they had with Kendall Lamb. Certainly. Um, I, you know, I think that offensive line is certainly something that they will address with one of the picks in the draft. So that makes sense. Uh, I really like your fifth and sixth round picks a lot. I think these are both really good value picks here. Uh, Talk about Derek Forrest as you have as the Browns fifth round pick safety from Cincinnati like this kid a lot. Yeah, he's great size, six foot, right around 200 pounds. Um, Very just consistent player. He's not one of those guys that really ever jumped off the tape doing anything that, you know, was going to be making tons of highlight reels, but he just, he did everything that was asked to him. Um, for the Browns, you know, they're looking good right now with uh, <clears throat> their safeties with John Johnson. Uh, hopefully Grant Delpit's back. Ronnie Harrison Jr. was an absolute steal for what they got him for. Um, so they're, they're good at safety with those three, but wanting to start three safeties, you know, they need to be a little deeper than just having Sheldrick Redwine as the only, as the primary backup. Um, and Forrest is a guy who, you know, uh, like I see you highlighted there, the scheme diversity, he can play more than just one role. So he wouldn't just be a guy that would back up, you know, the deep safety or kind of what they're calling like that money backer role. He can come yeah. in and play several different spots wherever they're needing them. Good stuff there. I like that pick a lot. And then this one really jumped off the page to me because I've been, I'm really high on this guy, uh, Tay Gowan. Um, and I, you know, six, I don't know if he'll be there in the sixth round. Uh, he may be. I don't know. It depends on how people value him. This is a big, big, long, lanky corner who can run, jump. I mean, he's a super freaky athlete, right? 
um, and uh, out of UCF. I like him a lot. I think I had him in one of my, you know, just playing around mocks. I think I had him in, like, the their second pick in, like, the fourth round. So to get him in the sixth would be amazing. Talk about Tay Gowan a little bit. Yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, what I was talking about with Altwell earlier where it was, you know, I'm agreeing with you. I don't know that he really would be there on the sixth. If he is, you, you mean you have to take him. Uh, yeah. I do like the kid a lot. Uh, he may end up being one of those that goes a lot earlier than I'm even expecting because of everything you just mentioned. Um but for a while there, it seemed like nobody was really talking about him. <laughs> a couple right. of uh, Dog Pound Daily like, have liked him, have mentioned things in articles. And um, I've, I really like his size and everything. Uh, but the biggest thing with the, with taking a corner there is <clears throat> what, what I wrote at the, at the end there. They just simply need more bodies. They've struggled with the injuries. You know, even Denzel Ward has been, you know, having a hard time staying on the field for 16 games. And so far, you know, Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell – Aren't bad. I believe Mitchell re-signed with somebody else, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, he did. Okay, so um, the Texans. That's right. Okay, so their 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 defensive back room is you know kind of depleted a bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if they added the you know two here and then brought in a whole bunch of undrafted free agents. You know they they need to add cornerbacks for sure. Definitely, yeah. Need more bodies there, especially outside corner. Uh, and probably need a backup for Troy Hill, too, or somebody that can play in there. Um, yeah, I, I like him a lot. I mean, he, I mean, you're right. He wasn't getting mentioned a lot, um, but he is starting to get mentioned more. He just has elite, elite size and length for a guy uh, to play that has his ability to, you know, uh, have those kind of hips and run with – wide receivers i mean he'll, he'll be bigger than a lot of them so yeah. he's got uh, all the stuff you can't teach so yeah, yeah. absolutely you, you, so, you pick him up a bit and this guy could be special yeah absolutely uh and, and a guy that fits you know those bigger corners they like that in that cover three you know seattle right. cover three that the browns like to run a lot so he might be a scheme fit there as well uh so i like you did a really good job on this mock draft i think it's tremendous randy so i appreciate you talking about that Real quickly before we get off this screen here, today per NFL.com, you know, we just wanted to talk about this real quick. Uh, Chad uh, Reuter uh, had a article, Seven Day One Trades That Make Sense, uh, and he kind of mocked this trade. Uh, the Browns go up to 18. Uh and uh, the Dolphins go back to 26 to get up there. Uh, the Browns would give up this year's one of this year's third rounders and a sixth rounder. Seems kind of pricey to go up uh, eight spots, but I'm sure that's what the table says, right? Um, and then he starts talking about linebackers a lot. Tulsa's Zabin Collins and Kentucky's uh, Jameen D- Davis. I don't. I think that's how you say that, right? And then uh, our two worthy married first round picks. I think we both agree. If they were going to do something like that, it certainly wouldn't be to take a linebacker. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think if they're making a trade like that, you're looking at someone like Aziz from Georgia. I mean, you're you're, you're yes. moving up to get an impact pass rusher or something. If you're going to tell me that that's the trade they're going to make to give up a third and a sixth to go get someone who you believe could be an elite pass rusher, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Honestly, I know it sounds like a lot, um, but it's exactly like you said. It's kind of a, the price of doing business. And it, yeah, 
you know, if, if that's what it took and you knew you were going to get a guy that you could start across from Miles Garrett and have the potential of putting up another 10 sacks and that's worth it. But yeah, definitely not for a linebacker, you know, no offense to either of those players. They're both, they're both good players, but um, Excellent, I, also, yeah. I also think they both would be available at 26 if they were really wanting them. I agree. Uh, I totally agree. The question about my question about Zayvon Collins is you, you hear about his ability to get to actually rush the passer, right? So could he be used as an edge? You know, I don't know. Uh, or are they looking at him as traditional, more just straight up linebacker? I, it depends on you know what they're what they want to do with him there. Um, yeah, and I don't think that he would be a traditional edge. I mean, he it's not what he played. I know right. that his high school days. I think he played like some quarterback. Even you know he he is a versatile guy. But I think he was more of a, you know, being able to blitz off the edge, just like a Sam linebacker or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't think that you put his hand in the dirt or anything like that. Um, you know, and then you're taking kind of taking away what he does best. But, yeah, okay. I absolutely do like him as a player. Um, yeah. yeah. I just – I think this this uh, coaching staff, the analytical uh, general manager, front office, all that, I, I just don't see them taking a linebacker in the first round. Yeah, I agree. I just I, – I firmly believe that – they are hoping that Jacob Phillips can make that leap, uh, especially with the help of like an Anthony Walker, who has been really good for guys around him. I that think was an that, underrated signing, the Anthony Walker yeah, signing. That was yeah. really good. And then um, if you look at Jacob Phillips week 17 against the Steelers when he had the 10 tackles, um, yes, that, that guy was all over the field. So that was just – flash of you know what he can do so you're absolutely right i think they're banking on those guys being being their two main linebackers yeah i agree and and i think that's probably the way they'll go so i just thought that was interesting wanted to bring that up there and talk about that potential trade that he kind of threw out there it like you said it would be worthwhile to probably go up and get an aziz but but not to go up and get a linebacker at least in my opinion um all right, so I think we both agree that their biggest needs are a cornerback and edge. Any other guys you want to mention there that you potentially think could be at 26 and talk about before we move on there? We've, we've talked about Aziz a lot. Uh, I think he could fall there depending how the first round goes. But like we said, it, there's a lot of guys that are valued differently here, and we don't really know where they land on certain teams' boards. Uh, what about a corner, though? The one name that's interesting to me would be Caleb Farley. Um, yeah. He had the back injury, so there might be a little concern. But, you know, not too long ago, people were talking about him as a surefire uh, top 15 pick. You know? Yeah. And the crazy thing about him, too, is I believe he's like 6'2", right around 200 pounds. He's another one of those really big corners that can play on the outside. But he's also really new to the position. You know, but if you watch him play in 2019, he didn't look new. He looked like he knew what he was doing. But the fact is, he's still learning the position, and he's already this good. So I think if he falls to you at 26, that's one that it's going to be something to really think about. Um, again, I think it, I think most teams might jump at it, but for Cleveland again with the injuries, you know, I don't want to keep harping on that, but they may be a little gun shy to bring somebody else in, but I mean, it sounds like it might've just been a freak thing. It said he, he said he hurt his back working out. So yeah, if he's healthy, there's, he's interesting there. You're right. There, there's a lot of uh, weird question marks around some of these corners, like horn who we know is a, like an elite guy, but there's some injury worries there. Uh, Farley's back who I think, 
I think Farley <clears throat> is pretty much probably the best corner in the class minus his back. Um, at least that's what a lot of people are saying. Uh, you know, Chris Sims did his top five, and he always throws some different names in there. There's a guy named Tyson Campbell out of Georgia that yeah. he had in, at number three, and you don't see him on anybody's top five boards, but I watch this kid's tape, and this kid is legit, like, like tremendous traits uh, at cornerback. I wonder if a guy like him would be there at 26 or even maybe 59, depending on where teams value him. Yeah, that's a really good question because it seemed like uh, when the offseason first started, uh, Campbell was kind of the top guy from Georgia. And yeah. then all people started realizing how good Eric Stokes could be. You know, like Eric yes. Stokes is a little more explosive. But, you know, Campbell, I think you're right. I think he's a legit player. Um, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was there at 59. It's kind of like um, was it Trevon Diggs last year from Alabama. Yep. He was one of those players that was good enough that people thought maybe he could be a first-round player. But the next thing you know, he went into the 50s. And, you know, he will probably end up being a solid NFL player for a while. So, it's, it's kind of nice when you get that, a, you know, a, a good corner class when you're needing one. So you may still be able to find a decent one in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We've got a couple more things here we'll hit. And then uh, I don't want to take too much of your time here, Randy. You're doing a great job. Awesome job on the mock draft. We appreciate you making you. time on for us on All Eyes on Cleveland for sure. Uh, let's talk succession plans here. So, you know, areas that the Browns need to address, not so much for this year, but for the future, I think that uh, for me it's like wide receiver, offensive line, defense, interior defensive line, uh, and probably all of the defensive line, really. Uh, what are your thoughts on, like, you know, succession plans as far as what needs to be addressed in this draft uh, for the future? Um, I think you hit the three areas really perfectly. Okay. I think, um, you know, wide receiver, you, you know, Odell and Jarvis, are, they're not getting any younger. Um, you're going to have to start wondering about their contracts as well. Um, you know, if they're, if, if they're talent, what they're bringing to the table still is worth what they're going to be paid. You know, of course, you, we've been saying it since he's been here, but, you know, if Odell's healthy, he's absolutely worth it. But, you know, we yeah. keep saying if Odell's healthy – so, yeah, I think, you know, trying to get a wide receiver would be good. Um, you know, whether that's somebody early on or a late-round pick, somebody that you feel like you can try to develop. But I, th I think they do need somebody uh, to work behind Odell. I would put defensive tackle next. I, I, I really like Malik Jackson and Sheldon Richardson both, um, but they're both 31 years old. Yeah, uh, Andrew Billings is on a one-year deal. Jordan Elliott, uh, you know, he, he flashed some potential as a rookie, but we need to see a little more of what he can do. Um, so, yeah, it, it would be nice to get a defensive tackle and that can work with them. Yeah, really, no question. Yeah, I think the line is I feel like they've tried to address that a little bit. I think the biggest name to watch when it comes to needing somebody waiting in the wings would be center. Um, I feel like Batonio is going to be fine for a while, but uh, J.C. Treader, you know, he's – the guy's a warrior. He's battled through so many injuries, you know, so you have to kind of be ready. Eventually, you know, it's, you, you hate to say it, but eventually he won't win all the battles. Um, so, it, but last year they did draft Nick Harris. I liked Harris a lot at Washington. Me too. Um, it was unfortunate he got injured because I would have liked to have seen a little more once, you know, they needed some help with guard to see him out there. 
uh, see what he can do. But I, I think I think Harris can still kind of be the guy to replace Treader down the road. So okay, I, I don't feel like that one's as much of a need just yet as the other two. Okay, makes sense. Um, all right, so let me ask you this: This is always kind of different. Your draft strategy, or you know, and we kind of are still learning what Andrew, where Andrew Barry's at with all this. But, you know, people pound on the table and say, you know, BPA, best player available, right? Yeah. But it's always really kind of best player ver- available at position of need or position of value in reality because you're building a team. You're not just picking blindly, right? So, cool. it, it, you know... At least that's the way I look at it. And, you know, we had Jake Burns on the show, and I asked him the same question, and he kind of broke down the whole, you know, it's it's BPA at a position of value, so wide receiver edge, you know, not so much need but value, right? Like you're not going to take yeah. a running back if he's the best guy on your board or, or, a, or a linebacker is kind of what we've said is not really a value position for them. Uh, where do you come out on all of this? I think that that's really a good way to break it down. I think need always is going to come into play. Uh, yeah. You know, like what you just I, – I, but I also like what he's saying with the position of value. That makes sense too because you can sit here and say, you know, need matters because if the Browns are on the board at, at 26 and the best player is Samuel Cosme, they're not going to pick an offensive tackle. They just they don't right. need one. Um, but – I also like him saying the position of value because they're probably also not going to pick a linebacker. They may need one, but that's not a huge value position to them. Exactly. So I think that is a, you know, I've always kind of said that it is best player available with need influence, but I, I like the the positional value even better than that. I hadn't heard that before, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree that you just, you, you've got to fill your needs and, and you're right too with Andrew Barry. We don't know. We haven't seen enough of him running his own show to know. But what we do know is it, it last year and so far in this offseason, he's been very aggressive about filling yes. weaknesses. You know, he, he attacked offensive tackle last year with getting confident free agency and then getting Jedrick Wills at pick number 10 and then taking Grant Delpit in, in the second round. Um, you know, he 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 knew what the team needed and he got what got it without reaching. And, and that's why when I look at my mock draft, that's why I was going cornerback first because I felt like he's going to look at, I need a corner, I need an edge, you know, which one's going to give me the best value at this pick? You know, can I still, which one can I still get a decent value out of the next pick? Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That it's clearable based off of value, positional value. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me run this scenario by you then. Okay. We talked about the succession plans. Let's say defensive tackle and wide receiver because they just kind of fit here, right? So what happens if you get an elite wide receiver drops to 26 and Ojalari's not there, Newsom's not there, or whatever, uh, or, or the guy that you they really value isn't there? Would you be comfortable with them taking a, an elite wide receiver at 26 uh, I mean, understanding that that's a kind of a pick for the future, but would you be okay with that? Man, I'm glad you asked that because I absolutely would. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. the, the, the very first mock draft I did at this offseason, it, it caught a lot of flack, but it was uh, I had them taking Terrace Marshall Jr. from oh. LSU. 
at number 26. And really it's, you know, it goes back to what I had said earlier when I was talking about Tutu Well, if you had that guy that could kind of beat that man coverage, you probably would have beat Kansas City. Yeah. And you, we can't just say, well, Odell's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back, but how long is it going to take for him to get up to speed and get, you know, that's a serious injury he's coming back from. No question. So, and we've already talked about the succession plan. So you're not just drafting a wide receiver to help you this year. I mean, he can help you this year, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having too many good wide receivers. I mean, I get no. runs say, you know, two wide receivers set majority of the time, but he rotates them in and out as well. So uh, me personally, you know, I, I would have no problem running the podium and getting an elite wide receiver at number 26. Uh, as long as, you know, if that's what you feel like is going to really help the team the best. And even if they did that, some people might get a little upset saying they didn't adequately, you know, address the defense. But I mean, look what they did in the offseason free agency. You know, they they filled the majority of the holes. They they still can use some help, but if they went in there with this starting defense right now, it's already you know quite a bit better than what they had a season ago. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I guess ideally in a perfect world, I think you know an Ojolari or a, or a corner that you really have high on your board lands there for you for 26. But, uh, I mean, if there was a guy there that you're just like, man, this guy should not be here at 26 at wide receiver, I, w- I would have no problem with them taking him too because, I mean, let's face it, the future at wide receiver after this season, something has to give, right, $30 million in, to two guys in that room. Something's got to give there. Um, and, uh, I, I think preparing for that now, I, I don't have any issue with that. Yeah. I mean, and they were talking about wide receivers. I think the one that I would really love to see fall to 26, but kind of seems like a pipe dream now is Rashad Bateman. I right. just, he fits this offense, you know, like a glove and would just be, if that guy fell to 26, uh, I, you know, I'd be pounding the table hoping that they're drafting him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, Barry's a smart guy. I'm sure that they, are prepared to potentially do something like that, potentially, you know, if it ha- were to happen. I've, we've seen Christian Barmore, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mock to the Browns at defensive tackle. Uh, what if a what if a tackle like him is there at twenty six, you know, and they value him more than an edge or a cornerback? Would that upset you? No, I like Christian Barmore a lot. Um, okay. I would hope if they did draft someone like him, then you would see a little more of like Malik Jackson or Sheldon Richardson kind of playing on the the right side. Um, if if they're going to continue to keep uh, Miles kind of playing more of the left this year, um, yeah. you know, at least either on on the earlier downs, uh, just to get the because the, then you'd have a whole lot of good offensive or defensive tackles. So you'd want to see them on the field. Barmore would absolutely be. <clears throat> great succession plan to start mm-hmm. you know in 2022 but he's also just such a good player that you know i wouldn't want to see him sitting on the bench all year either so yeah but that one absolutely would not upset me <laughs> sounds good I, i'm right there with you you know if that's what if that's where barry has them and and they fit like those are both position of value and position of need for the future right. then I, I don't have a problem with it uh, where do you come out on the whole Browns uh, courting of of Jadavian Clowney at this point, Randy? Uh, as you are watching All Eyes on Cleveland Browns mock draft breakdown featuring Randy Gersey of Dog Pound Daily and NFL Spin Zone. Uh, just kind of, we went over his mock draft. If you're just uh, jumping on now, uh, it says All Eyes on Cleveland. Hit subscribe at the bottom. 
uh, or catch the podcast where all popular podcasts are found. But you can go back and check out uh, Randy's Mock, uh, certainly. Uh, and we're just kind of talking Brown's topics as we approach the draft here. Uh, the draft that will take place actually in Cleveland. They actually started building the stage today. I don't know if you knew her. Yeah, that's awesome. That, but yeah. On Twitter, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, some cool logos and stuff there with the river, uh, waterfront and everything. All right. Uh, do you think the Browns should continue to pursue Clowney? I mean, th- this this courtship almost seems is on the verge of obsession in my mind here as we are back at, at the table with him again. Uh, where are you at with him? Yeah, I saw somebody actually even uh, ask Mary Kay that in one of her mailbags said, wow, yeah. I'm obsessed with them. And, yeah, you know, when I when I, my very first uh, gig actually with Fansided or first editorial gig with Fansided was um, co- was for Toro Times covering the Houston Texans. And this was back when Clowney was young, yeah. um, you know, and he back, and I remember back then he just there was something about me. The dude is incredibly talented. You know, one of the most talented players I've ever seen. Um, but I, I don't know if he, if, if, if it's a lack of passion or what, but sometimes he just doesn't seem to want to go. Um, you know, and I think if Steve Spurrier made a comment about that, like, you know, if you could ever get, get his fire lit, the guy's unstoppable, you know, it's the, so, you know, and I'm absolutely not trying to knock the guy at all. I just, I don't know what, what you're getting in him. Um, one of the things I keep talking about is the last three teams he's been on didn't really seem interested in bringing him back. You know, yeah. Houston, Houston traded him away. Seattle didn't want to resign him. It doesn't seem like Tennessee is really pushing hard to bring him back. So it just, it feels like there's something there where you know, the culture and everything that they're building in Cleveland, I'm like, I don't know that that's what you want to bring in. And then you also have to think about the injuries. You know, he's, he's missed a lot of time. Um, and, you know, you already have to Carlos McKinley out there who's a def- very talented defensive end that you're wondering if he's healthy, if he can go. So I don't, I don't know if you want to add another if he's healthy defensive end. Yeah, the thing with Clowney is it's like, okay, you, you make great points about the teams not wanting him back. However, it, I thought he played well in Seattle, mm-hmm. like despite his numbers. So his numbers haven't panned out. Like the sack numbers aren't there, right? Right. But but to me he's and he he plays the run tremendously. Yeah. Uh to me he's kind of a, a more of a like a, a fuck the play up guy, right? Like he yeah. he just causes havoc back there and I I still think he can be incredibly effective especially across from Miles Garrett. So I don't want to like rule him out cuz I think he could be elite if he could stay healthy. Now, the Browns had him in town to me, I would think they would be checking his knees, right? Yeah. You know, because that seems like a potentially career-ending issue if your knees are continually uh, giving out on you. And, you know, the Titans only got, what, 10 games out of them? However... I think they only got eight. Yeah, eight games. So it's all about price, though, because, like, all right, you know, the rumor was $17 million last year that the Browns were ready to pay him. And he took less, right, to go to the Titans. Um, I, I don't know. The guys that were on the market this year, the the guys that were at the top of the edge board, and it was a deep edge free agency class, you know, the, the top guys got over $12 million a year in a – cap crunch free agency offseason 
is he going to want, does he still think he's elite $12 million a year? Because he's not. Like, I'm not going to pay him that money to come in here with the injury concerns, with the lack of production, with the questions around him in the locker room. Not that he's a bad guy in the locker room, but just like you mentioned, there it's not like big teams are begging him to come back, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the questionable effort on every down, right? What lights his fire? I, I don't know. But I am intrigued if, say, he wants to come in for 5 or $6 million uh, a year. I, I would certainly kick the tires or kick his knees or whatever you want to say and see if, if he wants to come in at that point because just envisioning him opposite Miles Garrett, that's intriguing to me. Um, and and I, I understand why they would check that because he is an elite talent when he's healthy. So can you get him healthy? Can you get him in here at a reasonable price? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, my, my intuition says he probably wants $10 million to $12 million a year, and he probably wants, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and, you know, and with the health questions, I just don't think that the Browns can afford to do that or should do that. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I think like you're talking about, you start getting in that ten twelve million range, and they're going to start having to, you know, renegotiate a lot of contracts and stuff just to be able to afford the rookie yes. class that comes in. And it, it seems like a lot of work, um, but but I do get it. I get everything you're saying about yeah. why rounds are, are are into it. You talk about putting a number one pick across from a number one overall pick. You know, that's that would be a really good defensive line if you can get them healthy. There's definitely risk involved. Um, but there is, if if it panned out, it would be a really high reward, and I'd, I'd be happy to say I was wrong if if, he, if, it, if he came and did wonderful. You know, I'd be happy to say, yep, I was wrong on that one. But I just, I'm agreeing with you. I don't think he's going to take what the Browns can afford. If you could, if you could get that point across to him, like Jadavian, you're no longer like a premier, you know, get on free agency for us. You're the only way we want you is like we see your upside, but we want you as like a, a, a low risk, high reward signing. Like that's what we need to, to have you as like money wise, injury wise. You're a low mm-hmm. risk, high reward tack McKinley type of signing at this point in your career. And and I don't think that he sees himself that way. I, I think he's a little no. disillusioned. Yeah, and it would be. You feel like for him it would be one of the things that you could get through to him because if he came in and signed a team-friendly deal on this <clears throat> defensive line that suddenly has Malik Jackson, Sheldon Richardson, Andrew Billings, Miles Garrett, he could put together enough of a year to where somebody's going to come out and give him that money he wanted to make up for whatever he gave up this year. Yeah, say, I mean, you could sell that to him, right? Like you want no double teams, et cetera, easy yeah. matchups across from Miles Garrett – and, and a good front four, we'll you know take the le- less money this year and then get the performance out there on tape, and you'll get paid again. You know, then's your opportunity to go out and ask for fifteen million next year to from somebody else, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that that certainly could be a pitch to him. And then the uh, thing, that, the real thing that matters there is, you know. It, if someone else does come in and offer him the 10 to $12 million, you know, then of course he's just going to take that because of course, once the money's there, you're going to take it. But you know, the longer he's 
he's available, the better the chance the Browns do have of actually convincing him to come in. So, yeah. And, and that's the that other question is, I mean, he set out all through camp last year, all through yeah. even the, you know, he, he waited all the way till like almost week one or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, and I kept we hearing, want this guy in camp, right? Like, I mean, yeah, if he's going to do that again, I'm not interested. Yeah, they're saying he didn't want to play, didn't want to be at camp. And, I mean, I don't yeah. know if there's truth to that. But, you know, if so, that's another one of those – another another uh, concern on my part. So Yeah, it's part of the problem, right? Um, it's a tough call. I'm glad uh, – this is one time I'm glad I'm not a GM having to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but still kind of blown away that after all that, after what happened in Tennessee, they brought him in and everything. I, I got to think that, you know, they, they're they trying to sell him on, you know, Cleveland as a potential option and also maybe checking on that knee a little bit. Yeah. Um, where do you have the Browns as far as the top of the AFC goes at this point? You know, post-free agency, pre-draft, do you have them as the AFC North favorites uh, and – in the AFC big picture, which is going to be loaded, right? The AFC is loaded with great quarterbacks and good teams. Where do you have the Browns? I don't know if it's the homer in me coming out saying that I feel like they should be the number two team. I, I just, I know Pittsburgh, had, you know, they got Juju back and, you know, Ben Roethlisberger decided to come back. But I don't know that those are wins for them. You know, they're no. talking like they are. I feel like I feel like the team we saw at the end of the season for Pittsburgh is what they're going to be. Um, Baltimore, it's just you, I don't know that they'll ever be able to win it all with their offense. You know, they just that 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 running attack just never carries a team. And you know, once you have to start throwing it in the playoffs uh, against teams like Kansas City and stuff like that, but they're built for the regular season. They're built to put up you know, 12, 13 wins all the time. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, I hate even saying it, but I feel like they probably are still the favorites coming into the year. Pittsburgh? No, Baltimore. Oh, okay, all right. In Baltimore. Right. So Baltimore the, Baltimore's built for the regular season. They're, they're the okay. ones that are in the playoffs and all that. I, think I thought you were talking about Pittsburgh for a minute. I was like, oh, wait no, a minute sorry. here. <laughs> no, Pitts, Pittsburgh, I think, would be, you know, Pittsburgh, I think, might not even be third right now because Cincinnati can get yeah. – Get, keep Burrow protected, but uh, I just feel like Pittsburgh's going in the wrong direction. Yeah, keep bringing Ben back, please. please. Yeah, I mean, he dominated us all those years. Let's get a couple shots on him out, on his way out the door, right? I wouldn't have hated if his final game ever was that loss while our coach yeah. was done with COVID. But, uh, <laughs> Which, yeah, the, the crying was a special touch, you know, yeah, on, on the sidelines. If we yeah. can do it again, that would be even better. <laughs> yeah, even better. Exactly. Make you cry a couple times here before he uh, hangs him up. Yeah, I just don't know what they're they're doing. They've lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I, I never want to, like, overlook Pittsburgh just because of the coaching and, the you know, the, the organization that they are. It's just I fail to kind of see where they're going uh, offensive plan-wise, uh, you know, they certainly need a running game that they don't really have established at this point. Um, and we're going to see what they do in the draft and everything. But, you know, that offense last year was, you know, uh, very hard to watch. The little, you know, the two-yard slants and the six, you know, 60, 70 throws for four yards. Uh, I just don't know uh, if what their plan will be this year. But uh, And I don't think Roethlisberger is ready uh, to lead them to another AFC title. So I kind of am writing them off a little bit, but I still keep an eye on them a little bit in the back. I mean, like, I saw a lot of power rankings that had them, like, 10th in the NFL, and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, I just, like I said, I feel like they're heading in the wrong direction. And it's it's nice to see Cleveland being the one that's, you know, trending upward for a change and, and, and getting a lot better. Yeah, I do still think they need to knock off Baltimore. They need to get the they need to get that win over Baltimore, and you know, then we can start talking about if they can be favorites in the in the North. Yeah, uh, I I feel like I think I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think that they are probably the favorites in the North. I think they're better than Baltimore at this point. I really question Baltimore's offense at this point. Uh, you know, and like. Uh, you kind of you you nailed it. They're they're made to kind of dominate in the regular season with that run attack. But I just feel like an improved Browns defense should be able to beat them uh, at home for sure. And you know, and they may be better than them all around running it back with the Browns offense is just so much more dynamic than their offenses. You know, that shootout epic game that they played was kind of like to me. Almost like even though they didn't get the win and they do still have to get over the hump for them, but it was like, hey, they're just as good as this team. They can go blow for blow yeah. for it with them, and that was with a, a shit ass defense, right? Uh, so you now you run it back with John Johnson, Troy Hill, you know, healthy guys, a healthy Grant Delpit maybe, and it seems like they would be better than them potentially uh, in 2021 at least. Uh, I mean, I have them up there. Not, you know, with the Bills and, and the Chiefs and stuff, not above them, but, mm-hmm. you know, right below them. Yeah, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't knock anybody for that. I, there's definitely times where I try not to be too much of a homer, so I might be being too hard on them thinking that Baltimore still ahead of them. Um, I think the biggest problem for me is how hard it is for Cleveland to stop the run, you know. Yeah. I'm hoping that the signings that they made, you know, Anthony Walker's good against the run, and <clears throat> Malik Jackson can do can get it done. Andrew Billing is really good against the run, so I'm hoping that maybe those signings will kind of change the tide a little bit. I think if they get into a shootout, if they can get Baltimore needing to throw the ball, Cleveland's clearly the better team. Yeah, it's just I agree. When when the defense last year, when the defense would let the running game kind of have their way with them, it it, it it left a bad taste in my mouth. So <laughs> I'd like to For see sure. that washed out. For sure. Makes sense. Uh, they certainly are going to be able to run the ball, that's for sure. It's, they're very dependent upon that. All right, uh, Randy Gersey, Dog Pound Daily, NFL Spin Zone, done a great job here tonight. Last question for you, okay? Uh, anybody else you have an interest in still in free agency at, like, Corner or Edge or any place else? Um, you know, I'll be completely honest. I've turned my attention 100% to the draft right to now. To the draft? Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, one name that I've heard out there, which I wouldn't hate, uh, is uh, Justin Houston. Um, okay. But I, I also wouldn't be shocked to see him just go right back to Indianapolis. I know he's a little a little bit on the older side, but he's still been producing for them. Um, but, yeah, if I, if I was to see them get anybody else, it would probably be – somebody on that defensive line, get another defensive end out there. But I, I also wouldn't be shocked I, if, if Barry's at the point now where he's going to focus on the draft and then see what's left out there. Kind of like what yeah. they did last year when, you know, after the draft is when they re-signed Rashard Higgins. It was like they wanted to wait to see, you know, if they landed somebody there. And So I wouldn't be surprised to see him make another signing or two after that. You know, the guy that I'm really interested in, uh, one guy – Rashad Breland, uh, corner from Kansas City. I have always liked him a lot as a cornerback, and 
even playing the Chiefs last year, he's so, like, you know, I think it was Romo that kept using the word sticky in man-to-man coverage, but he's so handsy and sticky, and and he's just really good in the tight spaces, uh, you know, playing man-to-man. I just think adding a veteran like that that can play outside, like you said, they need bodies out there. Yeah. Uh, I think a signing like like Breland would be uh, a really nice signing for them. I would feel a lot better about that room. I think they looked at him back like was like 2018, I believe it was. Yeah, um, I think it was, he had gone to Green Bay or maybe it was after yeah. Green Bay. Like, but I remember they 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 looked kicked the tires on him back then. So yeah, definitely would be a player. I would be interested in for sure. Yeah, I, I just think like he's come along as a nice player that yeah. you you can use it certainly situationally and potentially as you know a guy that can that can help on the outside should one of those guys get hurt it'd be nice to have not just a rookie out there you know what i mean right. so um i don't know how long mj stewart is for the roster so we'll see i mean he played great down the stretch but i've been i mean i've been hard on the guy because he's short and he's slow let's be honest He's short and slow. He made some great plays against Pittsburgh, but he did. <laughs> I mean, I think right place, right time might have been the uh, the uh, better explanation of what happened on those plays. Uh, yeah. But still, uh, Randy, you've been fantastic. We appreciate you coming on the show. I absolutely had a blast. This was great stuff, great content, great job on your mock. We'd love to have you back sometime. Absolutely, Brad. I enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, anytime. Randy Gersey, Dog Pound Daily, NFL Spin Zone. Go to Dog Pound Daily. Check them out. They are certainly friends of ours over here at All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, Have a good one, brother. All right. You too, man. Thanks a lot. Yep. there uh was a great interview from uh randy gersey dog pound daily nfl spin zone go check him out tonight on tonight's uh browns mock draft breakdown uh here at all eyes on cleveland guess what we got a mailbag it's a good mailbag tonight it's definitely worth talking about uh good stuff for the browns here so uh as we just go over the hour mark we apologize we're going a little long but that's okay this this stuff is good questions in the mailbag tonight and uh, so thanks to uh, at Max Sports Report, uh, NEO Against the World. Thanks to the Land Sports at RBS underscore corrections. Uh, always frequent flyers in our mailbag. And also thanks to Robert Stahl, Stahlnecker uh, at uh, Wildlife Lover, L-U-V-E-R. Uh, Robert uh, added some awesome stuff in here on these topics. So uh let's talk about some of this stuff so the first question in tonight's mailbag here at all eyes on cleveland was uh from neo against the world at max sports report thank you again how much money do the browns have left uh to use in free agency so the answer is uh a pro well the answer of how much money under the cap they are is approximately 13 million dollars now Seven to eight million dollars of that is going to be allocated for uh, 
the draft in your rookie draft class, so the guys that you take in the draft, um, leaving about $6 million. Now, this question ties into the second question, so let's get into that because really they have more room than that $6 million if they wanted it. But let's kind of talk about why they haven't taken advantage of that and the, and the ups and downs or, or the pluses and minuses, pardon me, of why they haven't restructured some of these contracts. So great question from the land sports at RBS underscore corrections on Twitter uh, wrote into the all eyes on Cleveland mailbag tonight. Why haven't they restructured any contracts yet to make more cap room? So, this is a great question because they have some contracts that are very ready restructurable, right? Like, so Landry's contract is restructurable. Beckham's is. Sheldon Richardson is definitely restructurable. Uh, and then Robert made a great point, as he pointed out, uh, Stallnecker on, on Twitter when he was making some points on this topic, that uh, so is Case Keenum's, right? Uh, backup quarter quarterback... He's getting a lot of money uh, to be backup quarterback. Certainly an area where you could restructure that, especially if you want to keep him around for a couple years. Now, whether they use that or not, we, let, let, let me make this point first before we get into why I don't think they've done this yet. Because you've seen teams all around the NFL restructuring these contracts. So the... The, the word of the offseason is void years, right, in this in this cap-crunched uh, 2021 offseason. Uh, these void years are how they're restructuring some of these contracts. So, like, they'll take somebody's um, base pay, convert it to a signing bonus, add some void years onto their deal, maybe add – you know, an additional year of service on to some of these guys. And then that allows them to prorate out that that payment that would have been, say, like a $10 million cap hit by adding like two void years onto a deal and turning it into a signing bonus. They can then spread that out the, over the length of the four years. So it reduces their cap hit for 2021, where everybody's trying to squeeze and make more room because of the cap crunch. It allows them to prorate that, you know, ten million down to two and a half, say, right? If they got four, two years of a contract and then two more void years. For instance, Troy Hill's contract. So, so far the Browns have elected to not restructure, but yet use those void years on their new contracts. So, John Johnson the third, more so Troy Hill. Uh, where it was reported, you know, four years, $24 million. Really, it's two years, $9 million, and with two void years on the end of it, right? So what that allows them to do is pay him his base of like $1.07 million, the veteran's minimum uh, base salary, give him the rest of that in signing bonus, and then prorate that out over four years. So his cap hit is only like three or $4 million, where it should it looks like it should be like five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? And it's not that because of the void years they put on the end of his contract. This is what everybody's doing. Some teams have been doing this for a long time, but it's been adopted by everybody in the NFL this offseason because of the cap crunch, right? So they've 
sort of used, you know, that to their advantage with the new players they've signed, right? So I think they they did this with a couple of the new guys that have come in in order to lower their cap hit for 2021. Now, the reason that you would restructure, let me make this clear, the reason you would restructure a contract now is because you need the immediate money. And I think that what Andrew Barry is thinking is, why restructure Sheldon Richardson? Because part of his restructure, or part of getting him to do that, may be adding like a year on. Like, okay, listen, Sheldon's getting $12 million this year. If he were released to the open market, or say they cut him, right, they would be free of that $12 million, and Sheldon would never get that on the open market. So they could come to him and say, listen, we could cut you right now, and you wouldn't get that $12 million anywhere. But instead, let's restructure your, your deal, add another year on, we want you to stick around, we'll keep you for next year, but we'll make it like, you know... Five million, so together it's seventeen or, or sixteen million. So you're getting eight a year. You know that's fair. Uh, you know X amount guaranteed. We'll roll this new portion of the contract, or the or this year's uh, guaranteed money. We'll give it to you all up front. That would allow them to then you know tack on a couple of void years, and that would open up maybe like eight nine million dollars in cap space. But they don't haven't needed to do that yet. So, and the reason why I think that they haven't done that, and, and they could do the same thing with Landry as well, um, or Beckham if they wanted to push the issue, is because they haven't had to. Now, one thing that they're going to have to pay for, whether it be through, probably pay for, is a Nick Chubb salary. Now, that's not going to hit, you know, his new contract isn't going to hit this offseason. It's going to hit next offseason. So do you want the flexibility of being able to say, Sheldon, see ya and clear $12 million off your books? Odell, sorry, we're done. After this year, there's no more guaranteed money. They cut him. That's $15 million off your books. Now that's $27 million freed up for 2022 when you got to pay Nick, Nick Chubb. And maybe you want to create some more room when you've already addressed your needs in free agency for 2021. That is money that maybe could get tied up if you work a restructure. So if you work a restructure with Sheldon Richardson and you add a year on, now all of a sudden next year you're not as flexible to create. You can't just say, bye, Sheldon, you know, you're 33, you know, his game is maybe declining somewhat and you want to go in a different direction with one of your, you know, Jordan Elliott, somebody they draft this year, uh, whoever it may be, to take his place on the interior defensive line and you can just be done with him instead of restructuring it this year and now he's around next year for, you know, maybe it's only $5 million, but it's certainly less flexible and less money. Now, they may still do that if they need to. Say they want to go sign Clowney, and they want to meet him at 7 or $8 million. They may do that restructure. But why do it if you don't need to? Let's stay more flexible for 2022 when you know you might have to pay Nick Chubb, or at least, at the very least, sign him to a franchise tag. 
that money is then freed up if you want to say goodbye to Odell, if you want to say goodbye to Sheldon, and then now you can find a reasonable replacement. We talked about the succession plans, but as of right now, by not restructuring and adding any years onto these guys' contracts, you are free to just cut bait with them and create more money in 2022 moving forward. By restructuring now, you potentially tie yourself up. You you create the money now, but you potentially limit what you can create going forward. If it was a sure thing they wanted to keep Sheldon Richardson in 2022, then it might make more more sense. But I don't know what I don't know what we're going to get out of him as he goes further into his 30s. I love him as a player. I think he's definitely a huge part of what they're going to do this year. I'm not doubt. I'm not like talking bad about Sheldon Richardson's game, but it's realistic to keep those options open, especially for guys in their 30s, especially for an Odell Beckham who hasn't produced yet. Um, Let's see what he does this year, right? But I'd rather be able to say, see ya for $15 million than, you know, tie yourself to him for another year now just to create some more money that they might not even need at this point. As we mentioned, they probably still have about 5 or $6 million in cap space if they wanted to use it. If you want to go sign a Brashad Breland or go try to sign Clowney, I wouldn't want to sign it for more than $6 million anyways. So that's why I would say that they aren't restructuring those guys now. It gives you the, the flexibility for 2022, and it allows you more money to free up if you want to just cut bait with a couple of the guys that are restructure candidates. As far as Case Keenum, I have to look further into that. That's a great point by Robert. Uh, You know, he's certainly, I think, making too much money as a backup quarterback. Uh, But at the same time, you know, if Baker were to go down for two or three games, Case Keenum is probably one of the better guys in the NFL that you could call on to get you a win or two, uh, especially with our run game and hopefully a really good defense this year, or a much improved defense, that uh, he could probably get you a couple wins and keep you on track to make the playoffs, uh, etc. So that's kind of, you know, money now versus money later. Getting the money now, it makes a lot of sense, and a lot of teams are doing that, and a lot of people are wondering why the Browns aren't restructuring to do that. I think Andrew Barry's holding back. He still reserves the right to do that with, Sheldon, Landry, etc. And Robert makes some great points about their value meeting what they are. But by leaving those contracts alone, you certainly give yourself the option to walk away from them completely next year when maybe money is more of a need. The Browns had a ton of rollover money uh, this year. Uh, so I think that's probably why he's waiting. He's probably waiting until he actually needs to use it because if he's not going to use that cap room, he probably doesn't want to restructure it because it does give him more freedom going into next offseason. You don't want to tie yourself to somebody if you don't necessarily have to in the NFL. That's just the way business works. Hope you enjoyed All Eyes on Cleveland tonight. Uh, great job by Randy Gersey with the Browns uh, mock draft breakdown. Hope that all made sense to you about the uh, cap space, cap room. Great questions from the mailbag. Good points made on Twitter by Robert and uh, all I or uh, the Land Sports and NEO Against the World. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. 
Uh, hope you enjoyed thoroughly. The audio uh, version, podcast version, will be available where all popular podcasts are found. Make sure if you're watching live or uh, on rewatch here, uh, hit the subscribe button on your way out so you know every time we're coming on the air. We'll be back tomorrow night, not waiting long, back tomorrow night with Jeff Risden breaking down more draft strategy, draft uh, talk. It's going to be a, a draft preview uh, with Jeff Risden tomorrow night on All Eyes on Cleveland. So uh, make sure you hit that uh, notification bell and the subscribe button. The show has been presented by uh, Blue Wire Hustle. We thank them so much, uh, always. Uh, and once again, thanks to Randy Gersey and Dog Pound Daily and NFL Spin Zone for lending his expertise and his mock draft for us to break down tonight. And with that, uh, big thanks to Mikey. My name is Brad Ward. We are out.